How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, it's not my normal habit um, to look at a really, really small section of scripture. Last week we just we really just focused on one verse. Um, I'm going to get even smaller this week. All right. That's not my normal habit, okay? But we're going to do it two weeks in a row. And uh, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Since it's Father's Day, um, I'm going to speak more to the men in the church. I'd say fathers and even uh, the single men. And I want to instruct them and encourage them on how to minister to a subset of the church. In this case, how to minister to the young men. So while much of what I'm going to say can be applied to fathers in their own home, and I will speak directly to that, um, really what I'm saying today, I want you to hear in the context of fathers, older, single men. I want you to hear it in the context of ministering to the young men in this church, so outside your home. All right, you're in 1 Corinthians 16? All right, good job. Look at verse 13. Here's what it says. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now, if you're using the New King James, it says be brave, where I read act like men. NIV says be courageous. And here's the idea that's going on. It's not saying act like men as opposed to women. That's not what's in view. It's saying act like men as opposed to children. So be mature. Grow up. And actually, if you think about some of the verses in 1 Corinthians, uh, that's really one of Paul's themes that he's driving at for the people in his church. Listen to a couple of these verses. This is 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So he's speaking to their immaturity, right? Then, a little later, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Again, he's speaking to their immaturity and the need for them to grow up. And once more, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. So I want to address today this idea of acting like men, being mature men, being complete men. What do our young men need today? Uh, I'm going to focus on three things today that they need. Truth, training, and trust. Truth, training, and trust. Let's look at truth first. Study after study that they've done shows that on the low side, 30% of youth, when they leave the home, and on the high side, 80%, once they leave the home, if they've grown up in the church, won't go back to church. Um, The Southern Baptist uh, Convention, their denomination, did, did the study, and theirs was on the high side. So them considered a pretty legit conservative denomination, and they're saying 80% of the people, once they go off to college, won't come back to church. 
Some people have pushed back on that stat a little bit and challenged it and have wanted to dig a little deeper and say, is that, is that accurate? Is that true in every circumstance? What are the, what are the surrounding things that maybe would help youth once they leave to still be involved in church? And so as they've done some of this different research, there's actually three things that they've found that if a youth even leaves for a season, these three things are a good indicator that they will come back at some point. So listen to these three things. One, a healthy relationship with their parents. Okay, that's the first thing. Two, they attend a Bible-teaching church. All right, not just Bible-believing, but Bible-teaching. So they attend a Bible-teaching church. And three, the family faithfully goes to church. Those three things. So out of the three spheres, you have the family sphere, the church sphere, and then you have like the civil sphere. But you as parents, you can take care of the healthy relationships, right? And you can take care of the Bible teaching church, and you can even take care of the faithfully going to church. If they have those three things, the evidence shows there's a good chance that children, if they end up leaving, it will just be for a season, and at some point, they'll come back. They won't bail. Why is this the case? Because they have been given a good foundation from the start. Each of us in here can bless our children greatly, greatly, by just showing them how to do life inside a family what a healthy family looks like. And they're getting truth fed to them inside the home and outside the home at a biblical teaching church so that they have this steady diet of truth. A steady diet. That's what they're feeding on. And they're feeding on it. And they're feeding on it. And guess what happens? When they leave, they realize there's a different diet out there. There's many different diets you can feed on. But if they have been fed biblical truth then the evidence seems to show that they will want that truth in some form or some way. To me, that's awesome. Because God has set up the family and the church to be a place of nurture. To be a place of safety. To be a place of truth. So if the family and the church are doing their roles, it strengthens the family. There is hope for the next generation. Now, we need to put our children in an environment where they are continually hearing the word. You hearing me? We need to put them in an environment where they're continually hearing the word. God's word does not return void. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at this passage starting in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now look at what he says here in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and you, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's the idea there? Every single aspect of life is encompassed with the Word of God. You're seizing every opportunity you get to pour truth into your children. Every opportunity. So youth need to be surrounded by the Word of God, both at church and at home. They need the truth. Now sometimes when we're watching a movie, just as an example... Um, something might come up. Sometimes it's a good point of truth. And I'll pause the movie. My kids don't always like that. But I'll pause the movie and I'll take it as an opportunity to say, hey, what, what are we seeing here in this movie? What's being displayed? Sometimes, um, and more often, there's something negative being displayed, some type of theology really being taught about the family, about church, about God, and I want to make sure that they're catching that. So I'll pause the movie and I'll say, what is being portrayed on God, what is being taught about the family, because I want them to have discernment and to be able to see the truth from the air. Teach them diligently. So we take opportunities to show truth. Our children need truth. There's a lot of lies in the world, a lot of lies, all over the place, lots of lies. We have to have truth. Truth with a capital T. Jesus himself said, John 14, I am the way, the what? Truth, and the life. Okay? So we need truth. We need truth. Thankfully, all truth is God's truth. Right? All truth is God's truth. So we are blessed to have a father who cares about things that are true. Who cares about the things of accuracy, of diligence? He wants us to believe true things. He doesn't want us to be deceived. How many times, think about that in the scriptures, Old Testament and New, are we warned against being deceived? Why? Because it's possible for us to believe lies. Now, every person says, well, I'd never believe a lie. Well, sure, me neither. But we don't know it's a lie. That's what makes it deceptive. So we have to use clear discernment. How do we do that? How do we get there? We have to know the word. We have to, if we're trying to lead, it's one thing, you know, I'm a single person, I was like, kind of, you know, you're navigating your way and everything, and then you get married. And now you're, as the man, you're, you're leading your wife, right? You're trying to be the head of the house. And, and that gets more challenging. And then you think you start to get that down just a little bit. And then you got kids. And then you're trying to lead them. And all the way, you are trying to navigate the pitfalls that the enemy throws at you and that the world throws at you. And it is challenging to do that. If you try to do it your own way, you'll be like the blind, leading the blind. You will fall in a pit. So you have to have the lamp right here. Your word is a lamp to my feet. So you need the truth. 
Second, you need training. One of the things that our culture has recognized, rightly, is that some men are abusive. And this is true. Some men indeed are, and they should be dealt with rather bluntly. One of the side effects, perhaps unintentionally, perhaps intentionally, has been to deem masculinity itself as negative, even toxic. This is unbiblical. Masculinity without Christianity can lead towards toxicity, but masculinity with Christianity can be a great apologetic for a dying world. Listen, God made male and he made female. Gender matters. And he made two genders. Not three, not five, two. And gender distinctions are built into our very DNA. I can't have a baby. Thank the Lord. (laughs) All right? But he made male and female to complement one another. To complement one another. And God calls the woman the helpmate or the helper. And guess what? That's not an insult. It is actually the highest compliment. Think about it. Let's just, just pause there for a second. Think about it. I mean, God's going through creation, right? And he's creating the different things. And then he gets and he's creating the animals. And then what's the pinnacle of creation? Well, it's, it's man, mankind, right? But if you really think about it, he creates the man and then he creates the woman, right? So if you follow the progression, I mean, the pinnacle is mankind. But then there's man, and then woman. I mean, that's, that's a compliment. But here's the thing. That word that is helpmate or helper, as most versions translated, that's just the Hebrew word ezer. That word is most commonly used to describe God himself. Okay? Sixteen times or so, roughly. At some point in the future, we'll look at some of those. Uh, how blessed to be have the description that God uses to reveal himself to us, used for the lady. It's no insult. It is a very high compliment. So the husband and wife, they're in relationship, complimenting one another. And here's the thing. If you want to stop abuse, listen, your best advocates are going to be men because they literally have the power to confront the call-out to deal with abuse of men. To be clear, listen, abuse in any form is never acceptable. It might be verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. If you're being abused, come talk to me. We will get you help. Sadly, men who name Christ as their Savior have been guilty of abuse. And they have used the covering of the church and the covering of the Bible to indulge their sinful ways. I agree with Jesus on this point, Matthew 18, he says, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and drown in the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. He takes seriously this subject of causing others to stumble. But the antidote to deal with the situation is not to stop or lessen masculinity in men. Men need their masculinity molded. They need it shaped If you try to ignore or deny it or act like the differences between the genders is negligible, you set yourself up for failure. 
Listen, the men don't need to be emasculated. They need to be trained. They need to know it's okay to be a man. Followed up with this, and here's what a man does. And here's what a man says. And here's how a man acts. So the answer is not to deny the difference between women and men, but rather see there is a difference and then make sure to take the time to teach and train what those differences are and what they should look like in a real world of Christian men. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a couple questions. Who is the primary caregiver for children? It's not a trick question. It's the parents, right? Who is the primary teacher for children? The parents. Right, you guys are starting to catch on a little bit. It's the Father's Day sermon, all right? So parents is a good answer. Who is primarily in charge of raising them? All right, good. Does this mean the church plays no role? No. So the question is then, what role does the church play? And here's what I want to put before you. A youth group, once a week, for two hours, is not the most important role the church plays. Now, it's a key role. It's a helpful role. It's an important role. But it is not the most important. What is the most important? It is the body life that occurs week after week. The body life that you can be a part of and can speak into other people's lives. Listen, if you're a man over the age of 30, you're in a position to be one of the most influential people to the young men here. Did you hear me? If you're over the age of 30, you're in a position to be one of the most influential people to the young men here. Now, we could definitely use more men serving in the youth ministry, but it doesn't have to be just there. Why can you be in that position of influence? Because you can show them what it is to be a man, what it is to be a godly man. And the men, the young men around you, right now even, they're watching. And my encouragement is, don't let them watch from a distance, let them watch up close. And they're asking things, and they're looking at things, and, and asking themselves, does he criticize? Does he engage in worship? These are questions, not that your own children ask, though they do ask that of you, and think about it, but also of others. Does he criticize? Does he engage in worship? Does he give? Does he serve? Does he participate in body life? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his own kids? However you answer these things is what you're saying a godly man should be. You give a clear picture of what you think godliness looks like for manhood. Now, I think all the way back to the church I grew up in. And my Sunday school teacher that I had for a couple years, boring as heck, um, probably because I wasn't saved. <clears throat> but I knew the guy cared for me. And I saw how he treated his wife and children. And then there was another man. I mean, this big giant of a man. He was just strong guy, but like the gentle giant. Just gracious and kind. I mean, he could take you down, but I never had a fear of him even touching me or anyone else. He had strength that was coupled with righteousness. So I think of examples like that. They were modeling to me what Christianity 
looks like for a man. But I also think of the direct interactions we men have with the younger men. It's opportunities to speak truth, opportunities to build up and encourage. And the the men here, all of us, have a, a ministry to the younger men. I want to encourage you, older men, like grab a hold of it. Grab a hold of it. Now, a while back, a politician who ran for office kind of had the phrase, um, it takes a village. That was her saying. Now, it doesn't take a village, but it takes a church. It takes a church. It takes a biblical community covenanting together to do life together. And none of us are going to do it completely right. None of us will do it perfectly. None of us will be flawless. But with all our imperfections and bruises and bumps, we're working together for God's glory. We're working together to pour into the young men around us. Listen, I have a vested interest in your entire family, not just because I'm the pastor, but I have a vested interest in your entire family. I want you to have a vested interest in my entire family and in the other families around you because no man is an island. I mean, I was thinking about that the other day. You know, the Apostle John, he's on the island of, of Patmos, and that's where he writes, receives the revelation that is called the book of Revelation. But, like, that is not a great picture of John being isolated on this island. That's like a, a poor picture of the Christian life because man was not built for isolation. I mean, I don't, I'm not completely sure how long John was there, but he was there a while. And think about that. And you can actually visit that island today, okay? It's not like the uh, beaches of Belize, by the way, and the islands of Belize, okay? And there he is, by himself, isolated, alone. That's not the Christian picture that we want. God wants us in community together. He wants us fellowshipping with one another. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So here, Paul is speaking to Timothy, who was rather young at the time, a leader in the church there. But notice what he's telling him, set the believers an example in these areas, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. And that's what we need to do, men, for the younger men around us. We need to speak into the lives of the young men around us. Model it from a distance, yes, but model it up close. Get to know some of them. Think back to your own experience, men. I think back to my experience as a single person in his 20s, as a young married man. I looked up to the men around me. And some of them, even by just small words of encouragement, they didn't necessarily know what I was going through that particular day or week, but a word here, an example there, an exhortation here. Sometimes there's been times where I've got more out of an exhortation that someone given than the sermon itself. That's not a slam on the sermon. That's a compliment that God is using that person to exhort the body. But all of those things, the men, young men, want to look somewhere 
listen to me, young men want to look somewhere for leadership. So they're either going to get it in your home or they're going to get it out there. They're either going to get it here or they're going to get it out in the world. They want someone to look up to and follow. Let's be that example. Let's set that example. You know, Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The leave and the cleave, okay? That's going to happen. We prepare for this. But before they leave and cleave, they need to be trained to leave and cleave. They need to be trained in all things men, trained in all things women, trained in all things marriage, trained in all things family. What normally happens, you know, about four to six months before the wedding, the pastor gets a call, asking to do the premarital counseling. It's just kind of like this crash course. All right? Trust me, I've been there. And it's a crash <laughs> course. But we're all in this together. We're in this together. Training. Through example. Through speech. doesn't matter if, if your kids are already out of the house. Listen, the older you are, the probably better seasoned you are to know what to say and how to say it. And I think the oldest man in this church is serving actively in our youth ministry. All right? In his late 60s. Finally, the last T, trust. How important is the cross to you? Some people treat the cross like they treat a necklace. They just put it on when it helps. They just take it off when, when you're done using it. Men, let me speak to you. The young men need to see that you know you need the cross. It's not just a tack-on, it's not just an add-on, but you need the cross. You really need the cross. They need to know that you need Jesus desperately that you are in dire need of a Savior, that Jesus is not just for the world, but he's for you. And that without him, you know and acknowledge and realize you're hopelessly lost, and you are in a world of hurt. If you act like you don't need the cross, then why would they think they need the cross? So they need to see how badly you need Jesus. The other thing they need to see, humility. They need to see humility. They're at the age where they think they know it all. I was there. We've all been there. They need to see it modeled in older men that those older men don't always have it figured out. That there's a humility there. Where did this occur? In acknowledging when you've sinned against them. When you've messed up, when you've dishonored your wife in front of them. They need to see you seeking forgiveness from them and from others so that they see that men do indeed sin and don't try to cover their sin. And they do indeed see that men deal with sin in a righteous way. The cross teaches you can't do it yourself. It takes humility and they need to see that you trust Christ, that he is your all in all. And we need to lead them to the cross to show them 
and model for them it is good and righteous and holy to trust in Christ. Think for a second, everybody here, I want you to imagine what a perfect father would be like. Think just for a second. A perfect father. I mean, he'd be kind, he'd be loving, he'd be forgiving, he'd be encouraging, he'd be affirming, he'd be warm. I mean, that's the picture of the heavenly father. He is love, and you can know him for eternity. That's really what C.S. Lewis said. Well, that perfect father image, like, do that for your children. And do that for my children. And do that for people's children here. Do it for the covenant community. Listen, I'm talking, you need kindness, but you need boldness. You need gentleness, yet strength. And I remember years, when I was a little kid, I was like six or seven, I was riding my bicycle, I was riding my bicycle down the street, and coming up towards me was the bully of the neighborhood. All right? Gabe Ritchie. You didn't mess with him. I don't know how old he was at the time, but as a six-year-old, he feels like he's 25. All right? He might have been in third grade. I don't know. <clears throat> but it just so happened, as I was riding my bike next to him, maybe because I was so nervous, I fell off my bike. All right? And out of nowhere, my dad comes busting out of the front door of my house, yelling at Gabe Ritchie because he thought that Gabe Ritchie had pushed me off my bicycle. And he knew a bully when he saw one. And he was not about to let his son be bullied. Now that <clears throat> is a picture, that probably was not the picture I normally have of my dad. Just going all out, totally almost like overboard protection. But that day it spoke volumes to me. Now in my head I knew, you know, the incident wasn't right. But it meant a lot to me as a six-year-old that, I mean, I didn't even know my dad was watching me ride my bike. And he tears out of the house to protect me. Generally, my dad was pretty kind, laid back, gracious. But that day, I saw a boldness and a fierceness in him that I needed to see. So, <clears throat> strength, God's given men especially strength to protect not exploit, strength to stand up for the weak, not to trample on them, strength to speak truth in a word of lies. I mean, think of King David. I mean, he's like this warrior king, right? I mean, he defeats Goliath. This, this young, what almost seems like a boy the way the scriptures describe it, but this young man takes on this super giant, literally, but he also was gracious and kind. We have how many psalms from him. He's, when, the, when the ark comes in, right, he's out there dancing before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. He, this kindness and gentleness and graciousness, but also this boldness, this fierceness, this protection. Most, all men, uh, lean one way or the other. But you've got to have the balance. You've got to have the balance. Most men, if they think about it and they're honest, they'll know which, which way they lean. You have to have both. 
Okay, you lean one way, you end up with like effeminacy, weak men. The other way, abusive men. You need both of those to come together to be the godly man. Listen, some men don't understand that they can roll on the ground with their kids and still be tough and still be bold. They can have a tea party with their daughters and still be godly men. Some men don't understand that they can be forthright and strong and still be kind and loving. It's not an either-or proposition. The godly man can and should be the kind, loving, compassionate man. And also the bold, strong, and courageous man. This is what our young men need modeled today before them. This is what we need to model to them, to help them learn, hey, when's it appropriate to be kind, loving, compassionate? Where's that place at? And then to learn and show them, hey, when's it appropriate to be bold and strong and courageous? Where's that area at? We need to navigate that for them. We need to show it to them. We need to model it. So we act like men, not children. We act like men, and we pave the way. We set the example. We model truth. We train. We show them what it is to trust in Jesus and to walk that out. All of us men, we do this together in covenant community. I need you pouring into my sons. You need me pouring into your sons. You guys need to be pouring into each other's sons. It's not a, we're not, I'm not talking about, oh, this is where they're messing up. That's not going to be very helpful, usually not well received. I'm talking about words of encouragement, words of affirmation. Build up, build up, build up. Encourage, encourage. Speak truth into them. Each of us has that ministry, men, and it is desperately needed in our churches today. Desperately needed. I encourage you to take hold of this ministry. This is, really, we could just boil this down to one simple verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I'd want you to do for my kids. That's what you want me to do. Then let's do it. Let's live out that truth of the scripture. Let's act like men. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. that you are so good. Thank you, Lord, that you have created male and female. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your truth to be able to stand on. And Lord, we want to see our young men become mature, godly men. And you've entrusted that older, mature men. So help us to do that, Father. Help us to be wise. Help us to be diligent. Help us to be self-sacrificial, to take some time out to speak words of truth to the young men around us, to love them, God. In an age of uncertainty, let us show them certainty, certainty about the truth, about the gospel, about who you are. Our confidence is not a self-confidence, but it's a confidence in you, the one true God.
Let them see that, Father. Let it be modeled well here. God, I pray for our young men. I pray for all the men represented here by fathers and mothers. Some might still go here. Some might have moved on. Lord, you know their hearts. And I intercede for each one of them right now and pray that you'd give them the gift of salvation. Some of them don't know you, Lord, and that weighs heavy on many parents' hearts, God. I pray that those parents would continue to be faithful to pray, continue to be faithful to set the example. Lord, that you would, in your mercy, even now, God, speak to them wherever they're at. Let them know you love them, that you are there for them, that you are real, that your son is real, that there is forgiveness in the cross. And Lord, I pray for all the children that are here, the youngest Lord to the oldest. Help us endeavor well to minister well. To do things like a youth group, to do things like a summer camp, to do things like Sunday school. Those are all helpful, great, and most needed. So let us continue to do those things. But let us also seize the opportunities that are just sitting around us, God. Interactions before and after church. Interactions at the different ministries we have throughout the week. Help us to step out in faith and take those opportunities. A few words here, God, a few words there. Lord, you use those words to give out blessing, to build up. And I thank you, Lord, that you've blessed this church with many men who love you. We confess that we fall short, Lord, and we don't fulfill perfectly love your neighbor as yourself. We don't fulfill perfectly love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Continue to fill us with your spirit, Lord. Continue to show us how to do that better. Continue to strengthen us to do it better by your grace, Lord, through your spirit. You are so good to us, Lord. You give us so many good gifts. Thank you for the gift of children. Thank you for blessing us with them, Lord. Help us to love them rightly. Forgive us where we've fallen short. Let us humble ourselves when we do and seek their forgiveness. We thank you that you are the best father of all. You truly are the best. That we can look to you as the perfect example of what a father should be and what a father should do. Let us continue to set our hearts on you, Father, each one of us, young and old, and seek you 